0: Once again to the Perimeter Church podcast. The end result of a right relationship among the Church, its members, and Christ is a faithful community that expresses both unconditional love and appropriate accountability. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series The Church with the third part of this message entitled A Necessary Authority. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today.
1: We turn our hearts to you right now, and we're we're just a people that are coming from so many different places, so broken in so many different ways, and and Lord, we know that that which brings healing to our hearts and lives is is all bound in truth as we embrace and follow and observe what you have to say. And so it is our intention as we pray now to say, God, would you meet us here and and instruct us and turn our hearts in any direction that you choose to go? And we pray, Father, that as a result, that certainly we would find the freedom that truth brings. But as we always pray, God, let it be not just so we can enjoy that freedom but that we might more effectively serve you and honor you. So bless this time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in a series. It's on the church. It's called The Church. I know every week we have a lot of new guests with us, and we welcome you. I think sometimes it's important to do what some of these television Serial, you know, that just keep going and going. Uh, You come in the middle of it and you don't know what's happened beforehand, and so they say previously on whatever, and you get a quick, quick, quick update, and it brings you up to date. You know, that's not just for you that are uh, new with us today. I think it's beneficial for those that are, are coming here week to week to week. The repetition is so important, the reminder. To be able to say, yeah, that's, and I think you'll see how this all connects, particularly as this week we're in the third of a three part on the subject of the authority of the church. Now, after a Christmas break, uh, or a uh, Thanksgiving break uh, from the series, we'll step out of the series just briefly, and then we'll come back. To the church as a series but we'll be finished with this subject matter of the authority of the church before we do that if you have an outline if you use the outline that's in your bulletin let me make just a, a simple adjustment so that it might uh, come together a little bit better for you where you see it says last week that should say week one week one and then go to the third point and the third point right before the third point put last week. And then you'll see where this week comes in. You can follow that a little bit better. Beginning of the series I talked about individualism, unhealthy individualism. and We talked about its implications and so forth. Two that we have been riding on every week, these two. Number one, the counterforce to such unhealthy individualism is accountable relationships, number two, there is no true accountable relationship without a recognized authority. And so we talked first in the first week of this series about the establishment of the church's authority in Matthew 16, 13 through 19, we see that, but I'll just do two verses out of that, 18 and 19, as a quick review. There Jesus says, I also say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loose in heaven. And so we talked about, well, what are the keys? And we said, well, the keys are the things that, that show the authority of the church. So we lock to keep those that should not be in, out. They unlock to let people in, out. They lock to keep people out that shouldn't be in. So it's, it's just the authority of the church as it's been given. Then the question, well, what does it mean when it says that this whoever you is gets to bind and loose? Whatever, whatever you bind on earth, Jesus says, I'll bind it in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, well, it's what you say is obligatory and what you say is permissible, so somebody's got some incredible authority. If Jesus is saying, I give to you the keys, I'm giving them to you, and now who is you? Well, it, some people think it's, it's a, one person in Rome that has those, key, those keys. Some people say, no, it's individual Christians. We all hold the keys to the kingdom. And we argued why those don't make any biblical sense. They do not come out of the text that you could say that. But what it's saying is, I'm giving it to you, the apostles, and you have the authority to lay hands on, which is a demonstration of the giving of authority, and they would do that to the elders, city to city to city. And so therefore, we're talking about the elders being the authority of the church. Four implications that we use. Now, these four, I'll just read them, no comment. Number one, every believer should be declared a member of God's earthly kingdom by ordained leadership within the church. Number two, every believer should be under the spiritual authority of ordained leadership within the church. Number three, every believer should be in submission to and accountable to ordained leadership within the church. Number four, every believer must be a member in good standing with the church to have access to the Lord's table and to marry another member of a church. Does that come across foreign to any of you? Unusual, like Many of you saying as Christians, really? These things true? Well, go back to week one and you'll understand a little bit more of what's being said there. We did say there were two questions that have to be addressed. It would never make sense without understanding this. The first question is this. Is there any place other than the word of God that you can be certain that you have found the will of God? Most Christians say no, there's not. And we... Argued biblically, very biblically. Oh, there are other places. There are three other ways. You can go to the the family, you can go to the government, and you can go to the to the church. God has given authority to bind and to loose in their realm of authority as long as it does not counter anything that's in the written word of God. There are things that have to be determined. And there has to be some authority in the civil world in which we live, in the families in which we live, in the church in which we live. And he says, I shall give you authority. We looked at the scriptures that relate to that. The second question is this. If someone is in the will of God, does that mean for certain that we are in the wisdom of God? And most people hear that as Christians and say, well, of course, if it's the will of God, God's will is always wise. And that's not really true. The reality is, it's true of the Bible, whatever the Word of God says, there's the will of God and there is the wisdom of God. But now if you want to go to the other three, now we're talking about fallible sources. And so there can be lack of wisdom, maybe with good hearts. Some of those may be in those positions with bad hearts and make very bad decisions that don't counter the Word of God, but therefore become the will of God, but not the wisdom of God. And I illustrated so you could understand what that was. So now we move to the next week, last week. Last week, we started with Matthew 18. Two chapters after the text we had just looked at in chapter 16. And then we read this in verse 15 and 18. You see it's a continuation of the same way of thinking. It says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. But if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And that church means the church authority. We went through why that would be the case. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as, and he uses the term Gentile and tax gatherer, which is another way of saying someone who is not a believer. Now notice the word as. It doesn't mean that someone loses their salvation. That never could happen. Once you're a Christian, you're always a Christian. But because we don't know, we don't have perfect insight, we say by the way you're living, the beliefs that you're holding, by what you're doing in your practice of life, you don't give indication of being so, and therefore we're going to have to treat you as if you're not a Christian. We're going to have to say no. We have to use those keys now, and you cannot be a participant in the body of Christ if that be the case. So, having... Done all that, we then went to what you have as point three in in your bulletin. Three is this. Two types of accountability in the church. And we addressed the first of two last week, and this week we look at the second. The first was a church covenant. We talked about what it means to be in a church covenant. The word that I would use as a church covenant to kind of relate and us understand would be membership. Maybe it's an outdated word, maybe it's becoming confusing because of membership in so many different things, but it's the term that's been used for the most of the history that you and I are aware of, membership. It's a church covenant. We said last week that this whole idea of membership is being abandoned by churches. It started with megachurches, then it's kind of dribbled down to where now it's kind of the common thought that wow, you really don't want church membership... And then all the reasons we talked about some of those reasons last week. I got it. I didn't actually receive the email. I don't think it was to me, but because uh, uh, I don't have email, so not one to me. But anyway, it it was to the church, and, and it was passed on to me, and uh, it's from a, a member of our church from many many years, and uh, and this is what they said: today's mega churches and Randy's assessment of them. Was right on point, of course, I want to say not just megachurch, it would be churches in general now. They for the most part, have totally disregarded membership and see no necessity for it. Below is a case in point. This is a note my friend sent to a church 's website after yesterday 's service. this came on Monday, and she so was talking about the day before when I had taught this and the response she received from the leadership regarding membership here was her question: How do I become? A member of the church? Their answer they got as an email, we're glad you're interested in engaging in the life of our church. We don't have traditional membership in the sense that you quote-unquote join the church, but we love to help you get connected. Our hope is for our church to be a place where you can walk through the doors, call it your church home, and begin to get connected. No title needed those who are fully engaged with us are considered our members do you hear that now that means you don't have to be a christian because it says we describe full engagement as connecting in a church in a in a in a group serving strategically inviting others giving systematically and not to even mention someone who could come in with deep 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 serious sin issues that are that are, you know, addictions and problems that could be problems for others. But if you come in and fully engage, then that's a member. And so it really is the common, the common theme today is you don't need this sort of thing. And we talked about why you would make a covenant. We talked about what are the benefits of being in covenant. Then I closed last week asking, what if you had the choice, which would you choose? If you could be in a church that had discipline, meaning they had the authority of the church, well understood, but they used it in an abusive way. So they did abusive discipline. Abuse doesn't necessarily mean, oh okay, it's abused just because I disagree with you. But truly, if others would look in and see and go, that is abuse, then there's your first option. Number two option, what if there's just no discipline whatsoever? There's no membership? Nothing. Here's my counsel. I'd say to somebody who found in a church discipline, but it is abusive discipline, run. Get away from that church. That is a bad place to be. Number two, what if it's just no discipline? There's no membership. There's nothing. My counsel, I'll tell people anywhere. I'd say leave the church. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be at a church that I, there was no... I I don't now have an authority of the church somewhere that's for my, no, I, I I wouldn't want that. But the point is that often there is a third option, and that third option would be where there is loving discipline, not perfect discipline, we're fallible, but there is the effort to love and care for people, even as a parent would love their children by disciplining, not perfectly, but they still discipline. Or has our Heavenly Father disciplines those He loves, He does it perfectly. We would want a church that does discipline. The church, as a covenant, makes us accountable for the overarching commitments. And I like to think of that as overarching commitments. So in, in, in the covenant of our church, if you come to our church, here's what you covenant. You covenant that... You have a profession of faith in Christ. There you, and so those that are in the authority of the church, a few people will say, hey, you know, tell us your story. We'd love to hear. But they understand enough the faith that they can give a, a good judgment to say, you know, you, you seem to have the criteria. You, you understand the work of Christ. It's not your own good works and so forth and so on. And they would say, come, enter into the church. But there's a second Covenant peace are a part of the covenant that you make and the covenant is that would we'll strive to keep the peace and purity of the church. If so, then we want you to come in. The third, that you would participate in the worship and work of the church. So you're not just coming just to sit in church, but you're coming to say, I want to be a part of the body of Christ and be a part, Will come. You come into the life of the church. What many people don't know is the early days of our church. When we started as a church, we did not have a good facility at all. In fact, most of you would never come in that facility. You'd say, "Uh uh-uh. Says enough just looking at it. I'm not going there. We didn't have money, so we didn't have programs. We didn't have the money to do programs, so we didn't have much to offer in terms of programming for kids and this, that, and the other. We didn't have staff. We just had me to begin with, and for the next couple, two, three years, it was maybe one or two others that became staff, but we didn't have a lot of people that were in charge that you could come to and it just, it just didn't happen. But it was amazing how the church grew and how many people were, were coming. And one of the reasons that we found out that they were so hyped about it is because they found a unique group that was kind of, to use the military comparison, we were the Marines of the church. I mean, there we were few, but we were, we were, we were good people. We, 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 had it, we had it strong. I mean, we were strong. And so when you look at our membership standards, they were, they were very, very, very significant. It was a group that informed us that they were going to come into our church and very confidentially it was a Christian group a religious organization and they were going to do a survey of several churches ours being included said we'll give you the results of the survey and they walked around very anonymously without knowing they just said hey we're from out of town and they were all from out of town and said we're from out of town and we're just taking a survey of your church and some are you a member I just need to talk to them yes I'm a member okay good can I ask you a couple of questions and so they had several questions and one of the questions was what do you appreciate most about your church and the answer that came back, the majority answer, was we appreciate the high standards of membership that our church has. Hmm. They had another question there was, what do you fear most about the future of your church? The majority answer was, we fear that in time, our church will lower their standards of membership. Do you know that it was only within a few years after that time that we, as a leadership, unanimously decided we need to lower the standards of our membership. If I were to put a period right now, you'd say, oh, you know, did you just compromise? What happened? You gave in? People weren't coming now? Not at all. In fact, when we lowered our standards, we lost members of the church. People that were in the church were upset and left. And the reason that we did it, though, was only for one reason. We said, it's not biblical what we're doing. In our best judgment, we made decisions that's just not biblical, because what we have, we have standards for membership, and we also have standards of maturity. You've got to be mature to come to this church, to check off this, this, and this, and this. You, you've got to grown. You've got to have grown quite a while to get to there, and no wonder we were the strong and few. And we said that's not right. So then we searched. Well, what is? What are the standards for membership? And we decided that it would be smarter not to bank on our youth and our understanding and our zeal. Why don't we go back in history and we found out that the questions that we use have been used for hundreds of years. Not just in one type of church, but in churches across the globe. And we said, why don't we go with what history has proven to be a biblical and healthy expression of what the covenant should be? And now it's those three things that we think that is what it means to be a member of the church. We walked through that. Now this week we come up with a second form. It's not just a church covenant that's needed for our accountability. There is secondly a faithful community. And I want to spend the rest of our time just looking at three characteristics of a faithful community. There are many others I'm sure, but I think these three will help shape our thinking about, well, what is this thing I need called a faithful community? The first of the three would be this. A faithful community understands the essence of biblical fellowship. So here I just need to open up just for a quick minute. Well, what is biblical fellowship? Surveys have told us that people come to churches and forever and ever and ever, the main thing, and I think it's probably still, I don't know, but to the main thing people look for, they look for relationships. Relationships. They look for this thing called fellowship. They want a place where they can come and feel at home and feel, I know these people, and these are my kind of people I feel good about, blah, blah, blah. And that's kind of what fellowship has become. It's been whittled down to something that's very social, which is not the essence of a fellowship at all. It's a word koinonia, and it means something much different. I quoted from uh, Charles Colson's book, The Body, last week. I'll do it again. This is what he says. He said, but... But the word for fellowship in the New Testament Greek, koinonia, means none of these. And he's described how it's so much now become social. He says it is something much richer. Literally, it means a communion, a participation of people together in God's grace. It describes a new community in which individuals willingly covenant. Isn't that interesting? Covenant to share in common, to be in submission to each other, to support one another, bear one another's burdens, as Paul wrote to the Galatians, and to build each other up in the relationship with the Lord. Biblical fellowship involves serious commitments and obligations. Fellowship is more than unconditional love that wraps its arms around someone who's hurting. It's also tough love that holds one fast to the truth and the pursuit of righteousness. True fellowship, out of love for one another, demands accountability. You see this exemplified in Acts chapter 2. If you go through from 41 through 44 or so, you'll you'll see that. And and it ends in in verse 44 talking about how they held everything in common, which gives you a sense of, of this idea of fellowship where we say, man, we are living as a people together. Now, let's go to the second characteristic. Second characteristic, the faithful community. A faithful community knows the importance of here's an interesting term, one-anothering. One-anothering. It's found throughout the New Testament. In fact, I did a search. I could not tell you, I couldn't spend the time to give you all the ways that it's used, but let me just read through the list of a few, okay? Here's what I found. In the scriptures, it says, love one another, be devoted to one another, Be of the same mind with one another, build up one another, accept one another, warn one another, admonish one another, confess your sins one to the other, care for one another, serve one another, submit to one another, teach one another, comfort one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens, and the list goes on and on. So you see in Scripture, there's this ideal that's presented that says, look, family of God. We are together, we're a family. We, we've got our citizenship somewhere else and we've come into this massive world that is much different than who we are. They hold different values and we need each other and so we don't just need to live it alone. We've got to have each other in such a way that we say, you know what, I'm okay here because I have others. I have my Jesus, but I also have his people. It's just designed to be that way. David Watson writes this way, He says, it is all very well for Paul to say, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. But if you are on your own, it is frankly impossible to defy the materialistic and humanistic pressures of society on every side. See, God designed us. He did. He designed us to need each other and to depend on each other. There's a text in, uh, in Ecclesiastes, I'll read it in just a second, but, but uh, you, you've probably seen this text or heard it before, and it really is talking of life in general, but it's certainly true of the Christian life as well. And you're going to see in these verses, he's going to talk about how we need the assistance of one another, we need the comfort of one another, we need the protection of one another. This is how he says it. He says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor, for if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. Here's the comfort. But how can one be warm alone? And Then you see protection. And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. And a cord of three strands, not quickly torn apart the story of a man who went into a bar. I'll pause there. <laughs> this is for old-timers. If you're new, I won't even waste your time. To Doesn't it make you think of Steve Brown? Just in what I said. <laughs> teacher that used to be among us. Anyway, this man went into a bar. Goes in the bar and uh, saw very weak-looking man, and so he picked a fight with him, and he let him have it. Next thing he knows, he's, he's in the hospital. He comes to, and there's a buddy of his sitting there with him. The buddy looks at him and says, well, what happened? He said, man, I didn't know that guy had so many friends. There's some truth to that, isn't there? You think about it. Do you know we live in a world today in which there is an unseen presence? I do believe my next series, I've been thinking about this for months, that the next series that I do will will probably be on the unseen world. Let me tell you, there is a demonic world out there that's as real as the angelic world. We love to think of the angels that are so present. But let me tell you, there is an enemy there too. And that enemy has given everything that that enemy can give to destroy and to hurt his family, the family of God. Not his family, but the family that he hates so much. God's family, the family of God. Those invaders who've come now into a broken, torn out world and saying your citizenship is somewhere else and now you're here trying to redeem and and, and, and to help the broken and all the things that you're trying to do and healing and all that. You're not going to do it because we're going to fight you. And Christian after Christian thinks, well, you know what, I think I can handle that pretty much by myself. Do I need the prayer coverage of others? Nah, probably not. It's not a big deal. What you see is what you get. It's not true. There is a world out there that is so, so real. It's coming after us. and says, look, this is the way you're designed to live. You're designed to live in community, biblical community called fellowship. And you've got to understand the essence of what that fellowship actually is. We have to have one another. Number three and lastly, In my notes, I put an asterisk by this one. I put an exclamation point because in my opinion, this is the unknown to most of us. We may have heard and understand a little bit of what we talked about already, but this one is like foreign territory. It goes like this. A faithful community is willing to experience the discomfort and pain often produced by spiritual accountability and biblical community. So tell me this. How many of us are saying how can I find some good discomfort in pain? I mean, we've got enough of that coming at us without looking for it. And so you're saying, wait, you mean go towards something called biblical fellowship that's going to bring discomfort? It's going to bring pain? You mean you voluntarily do that? Why would you do that? To survive. That's why you do it. You do it to survive. Any good coach knows that. If you're A football fan right now, you're in the middle of football season, and you know that a good coach is going to make every player go through experiences of pain and discomfort to get them to the place of victory they're looking to get to. You just can't do it outside of those things. And certainly, without discomfort and pain of accountability, we're only left with pseudo-community. It's not the real deal. As opposed to authentic community, much, much different, always requiring truth, which often, often hurts. One author puts it this way, when people submerge their true feelings in order to preserve harmony, they undermine the integrity of a relationship. They buy peace on the surface, but underneath there are hurt feelings, troubling questions, and hidden hostilities just waiting to erupt. It's a costly price to pay for a cheap peace. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Scott Peck. Years ago, I read, read his, uh, his book on a different drum. Some of you have probably read it. It's pretty well known. And that, this is what he says. He says, the only antidote to pseudo-community is chaos, where hurts are uncovered and hostilities are revealed. And this is the way he describes it. He puts a, a, a mountain ridge and so if you're looking at me this way, moving in this direction, you, you start climbing, you get up to this little mountain ridge, and it's pretty nice up there. You, you can see a little bit, it's kind of pretty, it's nice, okay. And he calls that pseudo-community. He says, but then you look and you peer up and there's this mountain range that's up above you and you realize that now this mountain goes down and goes into this valley and he calls that valley the Valley of Chaos that then takes you up to a mountain peak that's very high and he calls that true authentic community. And says, what happens is, is we get stuck on that that little mountain ridge and it's it's actually okay It, it kinda works but if we ever see the real deal we look up and go that's where I need to be right there. This describes a lot of marriages I'm sure they're not horrible marriages but there's, it's just pseudo-community. It's just like we're just kind of keeping it there and then let it stay, and you know, and, and we find great comfort in looking down into the valley of chaos and say, at least it's not there. And then what happens is we realize we can't stay here. Here's the way it might happen with us. Carol. She may come to me and she says, she says, Randy, We need to talk. Oh, I hate those words. (laughs) I know what that means. It means somehow we are stuck on a ridge right now that is okay. In fact, I'm really okay with it. I look and I go, this is really good. We got a good thing going, you know. And sometimes I look down at that valley and I go, oh, man, glad I'm not down there. A lot of people are stuck down there, aren't they? But she might point the direction of where we need to be and say, there's where we got to go. And Before we ever get there, we're both crying. And, and I'm, I'm hurting. Because she's pointed out something to me that I'm just oblivious to. And I'm just kind of, I'm in the moment of, hey, this is a pretty good community right here. I, you know, this, this pseudo community is not so bad. And the painfulness that has to be experienced, the pain that has to be experienced in that valley of chaos but inevitably, when we get to the, to the next ridge, we're hugging each other, we're smiling. It's like, wow, that is so much better than being stuck right here. I tell you, in order to do that, it's, it's going to require some unpleasant moments, some risk-taking. Some, sometimes it's, it's pretty frightening. I'd make this as just a, a counsel uh, to any, if it's with a, somebody else, a friend, if it's with a spouse or whatever, when when they're so willing to come and say, we need to talk, please don't deny, don't rationalize, don't retaliate. Just simply listen and evaluate. So there are the three. L- let me just close this out. I'm going to suggest that in this regards to, to fellowship, we need three kinds of friends. And I hope you'll just do a personal evaluation as you as you examine where am I in, in this friendship type of questionnaire. Number one, every person needs many special friends. And the more you can handle, the better. I mean, many special friends. I'm talking about people who they care for and understand that which is at least easily understandable. These aren't people that are going to know the inside of everything going on in your life. But they're people that you know, hey, they're not, going to, they're not going to challenge bad behaviors at this point. We're probably not that close. But we're good enough friends that if I'm going through a hard time, they care enough to say, I'm here with you. I'm supportive of you. I'll help you in any way I can. And, and, and some of us, that's a, some have come new to this, this city and you're going, man. I, I just wish I had friends here. Uh, that's gonna be a, that's gonna be the chore to find. All right, how do I find friends in this big place called Atlanta? A, a church, wherever. And many think, well, the answer is go to a, a small church. Which I think small churches are every bit as good as big churches. But the reality there is that most people have their relational cups pretty full, and there are not so many new people coming in that are also looking. It, it's a challenge people in churches want churches uh, to give them friendships. Now, the church didn't do anything to give me any friendships. Folks, I've had to warn so many people. I'm so sorry. This is going to be disappointing. The church cannot give you friendships. You have to earn friendships. And in friendships take time. It, it takes vulnerability. It takes a lot of things. But but at least to find a a company of people that you can say, hey, these people, they know me, and I know them, and in time of need, they would pretty much be there for me. But we got to go beyond that. Number two, every person needs a few significant friends. It may be one, it may be two or three. But we need a few significant friends that we go, now these people, these are different than the special friends. These are significant. They will help me reach... I mean, the life values that I hold to, they will help me in that pursuit. They will accept me with flaws. Maybe not, maybe not perfectly, but, but they really do. They really love me just for who I am. And then there's the third. Every person needs the one and only one supernatural friend, and that's Jesus. We all got to have him. I don't know how you make it without him. I, I know this. I came in just yesterday, and Carol Thomas says, where you been? And I said, well, I've, I've done two things. I've taken a walk, and then I was just spending time with the Lord at home. And and I told her, I said, you know what? It was a very really important time for me, and it was because I just needed Jesus as my friend. And I said, Jesus, I gotta be with you right now. I can't can't go alone, I gotta have you now. And, And it was the sweetest of time just to say, I got a friend, and you know what? That friend, he knows me inside out. Why wouldn't he? He created me, but more than that, He's got to love me because look what he did at Calvary's cross. If you ever want to wonder, how do I find a real friend, start here. I mean, just go to Calvary and say, look, look at the cross. Look what he did. He died for me? How will he not with Christ, as he says in Romans, also give us all things that we need? Then we can just talk to him can take walks like I like to do and just take a walk and say, Jesus, just taking a walk with you now. Don't know what I'm going to say, what I'm going to think about, but I just want to bring you into it. Let's just have a walk. It's a friend. But it doesn't, he says, don't just let me be the end of friend. You need other friends. So you're going to have to earn that. Go after it. Fight for it. Just need a few. But you need a few very significant and, and it'll take you a lot of of other friends that are not so deep to probably find those one, two, or three that you need so badly. Wish I could hand them out and say, here it is. I don't know about you. How, how are you? Do you, do you? do you have the supernatural friend to start with? And then are you going beyond that? Or is it just my connection with the body of Christ is coming to a service and leaving? That, that's not going to build a friendship. Serve with people. Meet people, go to study the word with them, find a group and, and and connect. In fact, I'll say this. You want a very simple application? I say if you want to take the first two steps of discipleship, the first is come into covenant relationship with a healthy church. If I said this last week, if you don't find this place to be the place for you, and you say I'm not going to join here, then please go somewhere else where you can join, not just attend, go join. Become a part of the church. And then second step of discipleship is find a group. I mean, we have groups designed to allow you to go deep and to be able to be who you are, open and honest. Those groups are called journey groups, men with men, women with women. It's not going to happen in a mixed group, I'll guarantee. You'll find some, some, of, your, you know, uh, some of the special friends. You're not going to probably find significant friends until you can get pretty much open with each other. And through that, you'll find those few that maybe I can connect with this one person or that and we become, we can go somewhere deep together. And so I would say to you, maybe you start with a connect group. Just find people you can, can find some special friends and out of that, maybe find a significant or maybe start now, trying to look toward journey groups that open up as we start next year's journey groups and say, hey, I want to find a group that I might fit with. But just take the first steps of discipleship that's where we began. We're going to get out of this series for Thanksgiving and we'll come back to it. We're through talking about this whole concept of, of the um, authority of the church. It, it builds the foundation. But now from this point as we build on this I think we can say we're getting a little closer at least my prayer when we started. I said we need to have a covenant with a local healthy church. We need that. Number two, I said we really do need a high view of the church. Most people don't even understand the authority of the church. There's no high view of it. It's just a place to go get my needs met. No, 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 no. Get a high view of the church. It is God's authority on earth for His family. And then thirdly, I said we need a biblical world and life view. A biblical world and life view that that wraps the church into it to see that God has said there's a kingdom on this earth. And we are citizens of the one in heaven, but folks, we've got an assignment here now, and you'll never accomplish the assignment without being in the family in a healthy, biblical way. I hope we've made some strides in this, and hopefully we'll build on that when we come back to the series. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, some of us are just now just yearning and longing for a supernatural friend, you. I pray you would grant that even now as they might just get a glimpse of Calvary by your grace and that they would say, oh, how I love you and I will follow you. Let hearts come to you even now. I pray, Father, for the many here that are saying I'm lonely. I don't have, I don't even have many special friends. I certainly don't have significant friends. Lord, would you grant that that they would have wisdom and you would just providentially push them to the right and then to the left until they bump into the right people at the right time and will one day down the road say, these became human saviors for my soul. I pray, Father, that we might always long for you knowing that you are the true Savior. Use your people to do your work. We thank you, and we are glad that you've given us church.
0: We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.